Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation Nourish is a well-being app created by mums for mums, offering bite-sized calm and well-being at your fingertips. The app is an on-demand library of meditations, videos and quick reads across mindfulness, yoga nidra, psychology and much more, all tailored to the emotions and challenges we face as mums. It's a support team of well-being experts in your pocket who are all mums themselves who get it. Try Nourish to de-stress, restore and reboot and find more love, joy and calm in the chaos and pressures of modern mum life. Nourish was named App of the Day by Apple and is free to download and explore on iOS and Android. Check it out at thenourishapp.com. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Mum Talk Series 9, Episode 10, which means it's the last of... The series! It's the last of series nine, which I can't quite believe, but don't worry, there is a mini series coming out in literally just a couple of weeks, uh, which is going to be me talking all about preparation for baby because I know I've had some amazing guests on this series, but I haven't really talked about um, preparing for baby and pregnancy a huge amount. So I'm dedicating that little mini series to what we all need to know when we're preparing, whether it's our first baby, whether it's our second baby, whether it's our third baby, um, whether we've been pregnant before or haven't been pregnant before. You may think in my voice I sound a little bit flustered. I do. This morning, well, number one, I am so out of breath at the moment. Literally can't do anything without taking huge gulps of breath. I think it's just that stage in pregnancy. Um, But I've been running around the house this morning and I've cleaned the bathroom, which... Uh, I'm not one I'm it's probably quite disgusting but I'm not one of these people who cleans it every week um so anyway I finally cleaned the bathroom and just one (laughs) just one today Uh, the other one's a tiny like little just kind of lose um which I will do another day anyway you don't need to know about my bathroom cleaning habits but I have basically been running around like a headless chicken just trying to get some jobs done because yesterday Hendrik said he would take Amandine to Bicton this morning which is our local park, to go and play. And so I could do my jobs, do the podcast, do some admin. And, you know, he's only giving me two hours here. This is not a full morning out of the house. This is two hours. So there's a lot to squeeze in. Anyway, I started cleaning the bathroom before he left. And then I got an absolute earful from him about... Um, the toxicity of what I was using. And yes, we are in the process of changing our things over. And in fact, my friend gave me a wonderful recommendation. So next time we're in need of cleaning stuff, I am going to grab some of that. And if I think it's any good, I will share it with you. Um, But non-toxic stuff. But at the moment, we are kind of getting through our... It's not all toxic, it's like method stuff. I mean, it's, it's better than 
I don't know, Mr. Muscle, probably. Um, but it's not also vinegar because I just can't stand the smell of vinegar at the moment. Anyway, so I got an earful from him about that. And I was like, can you just be grateful that I'm cleaning the bathroom, please? Can you just... There's a hundred other things I'd really like to do with my time right now. And then... Um, and then he started getting all freaked out because he's got a lot of things that he wants to get done. Um, and he didn't particularly want to go to Bicton. He was tired. <laughs> and I was like, fine, I will go. I will go to Bicton. I'm going to make the sandwiches. Just let me go. I'll sort it out. And then he was he was like, no, he's going to go. Anyway, <laughs> that's my rant. So I've had a morning. I have had a morning. But someone texted me, or one of you lovely, lovely listeners, uh, messaged me on um, Instagram saying, can I? Can we please have a podcast, How Not to Lose Your Shit with a Toddler, a Two-and-a-Half-Year-Old, and Husband? Especially when they've been at home through lockdown. I know, obviously, there's pros and cons with husbands being, or partners, other halves, being home during lockdown. Yes, they're around to help a little bit more, but doesn't make it, it doesn't mean it's easier. It really doesn't. I know I've talked about dual parenting a lot and how that's really tricky but Hendrik doesn't like to Hendrik has a huge guilt if Amaldine's playing by herself whereas I don't because it's necessary when Hendrik goes back to work and I have things to do like clean or laundry or you know that sounds really housewifey doesn't it or podcast stuff or whatever um she needs to be able to make her own fun for a bit and know that mummy's just busy and she can either help me or get on with some other bits. And if he's constantly there all the time, she's never going to learn to do this. But he just feels so guilty, which I understand, um, if he's not right there with her playing with her. So when I say to him, you know, I'm going to clean the bathroom, you can do whatever you like, just let her play by herself, he doesn't agree. I'm really interested to hear your thoughts. If you're listening to my rant and you're thinking, yes, I am so with you on this, or no, Emma, you're being a real brat. Can you please DM me <laughs> on one talk podcast? Because it's really difficult to know if I am being a brat or if I'm being really ungrateful. I am obviously so grateful that he's taken her out this morning. But um, I could have done with him doing it willingly rather than whinging about it. <laughs> when he was the one that offered yesterday. Anyway... Rant over, moan over. Um, this week's podcast really is um, great and it is, which you might not believe right now, but it is, we're going to go on to a conversation that I had with a lovely, lovely lady called Laura. She is head of pre-prep at Blundell's School um, and we're talking all about nursery, how to choose a nursery, what to look out for in a nursery, how to prepare your ones for nursery, how to leave them on the first day, and also same thing with school. So it's a really, really interesting chat, and we were actually just about to go and look at a nursery slash forest school, really, uh, when I had the conversation with her. I think we've decided for the moment that we are going to put Amandine in a couple of mornings a week, because that's the minimum, come September. Um, but we need to work this out, because if all of the sanctions are lifted um, about travelling, we'll obviously be going to France a lot more. Hendrik hasn't seen his parents for almost a year 
which he's finding very, very difficult. And I obviously imagine, and of course, the minute we're allowed to go, we will be going every spare minute that we have. So we've booked, <laughs> we have actually booked to go in July. We've booked, um, it's just flights because of course we're just, we're going to his house, um, his his family home. But we, um, yeah, we have booked and of course there's this third wave happening in France or fourth wave, whatever it is now. And the UK is clamping down a little bit on that. And I think Hendrik counted something like 130 days or something um, until we go and or supposedly go which I think is a good thing because even though he's desperate to go, I think it's a good thing because there'll be more chance that we can actually go. Anyway, anyhow, um, nursery, we of course don't want to book her in and end up literally only being her being in there for three sessions or four sessions a month and we're still paying for the other sessions. So we're just going to have to figure it out, weigh it up, speak to the nursery and go from there. But it was a wonderful chat that I had with Laura and it was really insightful and not knowing what to look out for, um, not knowing kind of what they do. Like I have no idea what they do at this age. It was brilliant. So I wanted to share that with you in case there are some of you thinking about the same. I know there's loads of you expecting second kiddos. So you're thinking about the first and um, lots the same age as Amandine and of course hopefully coming out of Covid might feel a bit more comfortable if your kids aren't in nursery already sending them um, to nursery. I will get to that podcast in just a minute. I'm going to give you a little bit of an update. Lots of you have asked me questions about how I'm feeling, how the pregnancy is going. Um, it's going really, really well. Thank you. Touch wood. I had my 31 week checkup with the midwife was it 31 weeks? Uh, last, beginning of last week? No. Beginning of the week before? Oh God, I don't remember. Um, and baby had turned, so baby's no longer breech. However, last night in bed, he was doing wonderful things. He was definitely going across my tummy. And I'm slightly concerned that he's switched this morning because he's gone a little bit quiet, which is exactly what he did last time he switched breech. Anyway... <laughs> God. So let's cross our fingers. Otherwise, I will be asking you all for all of your tips on how to spin this baby. Um, we have got the birth pool organised, um, which was actually a bit of a... F it was tricky in my research because we... As I think I've chatted with you before, I mean, I'll talk about this obviously in um, preparation for having a baby in my mini-series, but... Um, we are going to do this, do this thing in our garage conversion. Um, and we don't have any hot water in our garage. So we need to run a 20 meter long hose from our kitchen tap to our garage. Um, and that was quite tricky to find a 20 meter hose because all of these wonderful websites um, send you to the main website where you can get all of the extras for your birth pool and no one was stocking this 20 meter hose and it has to be a food grade hose obviously um not just your standard garden hose <laughs> uh to obviously reduce infection levels and all of that kind of stuff so i found it and i had this wonderful wonderful lady help me and we are all now sorted and it was a very wonderful experience in the end and i will share all of that with you in the next podcast 
Um, but other than that, I'm feeling good. Um, feeling heavy, feeling out of breath. This baby's definitely a lot bigger. I feel a little bit more, I feel like I'm starting to get a little bit more swollen now, you know, and you get that kind of fluid retention, swollen type feeling, um, which isn't so fun. But I'm 32 weeks tomorrow. Um, and then I'm really, really looking forward to having my 34 week chat with our midwife where we're going to talk about birth and um, things like that. And then at 36 weeks, I get a scan, I believe, to check baby is where it should be for birth. And there's nothing that they can see. Um, and that's because of home birth that's offered down here. So that will be really quite nice, actually, just to have that reassurance that everything is okay, or looks okay, at least, um, before the birth. Because you don't get that when you go into hospital. And it, you're kind of thinking, oh, is everything all right? Is is everything going to happen as it should? Um, but it's quite nice to know that I'm going to get a scan before. Not that you'll really be able to see anything, because I think baby's so big, won't really be able to see much. What else did you guys ask? Um, hormones. Am I getting waves of hormones? I really feel like I am. It's one massive roller coaster. Hendrik, I think, can definitely, <laughs> definitely agree with that. One minute, I'm really happy and energized, like I feel this morning. Um, and so I'm able to do all of these bits and pieces that I need to get done. And then other times, I will just not want to get out of bed. I'm really not sleeping well at the moment. Getting really bad restless legs, which is what I had with Amaldine, but I've had them since I was tiny. Um, I've always suffered with tired legs, I've called them, but in pregnancy they seem to be called restless legs, but they are the same thing. Um, and I try to target it with either giving my legs a little bit of a gentle massage before I go to bed at my ankles and my knees, or I run my feet under really cold water, like ice cold water. And that really helps as well. I think just it's all about getting the blood flowing. And it's not like I'm not doing anything. So they say on all these websites, make sure you get enough exercise if you're getting really tired legs in the evening and you're getting restless legs in bed. I am definitely getting enough. <laughs> I couldn't get, I couldn't, well, I could do more. Of course I could do more. But I'm literally standing up all day, running after Amaldine in the garden, going for little walks you know I'm, I'm not doing your lunges and squats and workouts and things but I'm also not sitting on the sofa all day watching Netflix which is I feel like what I did a lot more of with Amaldine when I was pregnant with Amaldine a few of you have asked baby names have we got any solid no is the answer <laughs> no we thought we had one or Hendrik came up with one which was really or not didn't he didn't he didn't magic it out of thin air or make it up but he found one which he really liked, which is quite an old school French name. Um, and we wrote it down and then asked a few of my family to pronounce it. Or what, what would they think they would say if they read it? And everyone got it wrong. And actually, I even got it wrong when I was trying to tell, some, tell my mum that she got it wrong. <laughs> so, um... Yes, that's a tricky one because we really, really like the name. But with Amandine, most people say Amandine, which is how it's spelt, A-M-A-N-D-I-N-E. So in English, you would say it how it's spelt, Amandine, but it's not. It's Amandine. So you, you almost replaced the second A with an O if you were looking at it spelt out. And that's how you say it. Or a few people say Almondine <laughs> with a little hidden L in there. And... um. 
I think it just, it really grates Hendrik and I'm not really that bothered and I'm not bothered if she has a nickname but Hendrik doesn't want a shortened name and uh, yeah, that's where we're at. So we have not reached any, any form of conclusion with names yet. We just know that he'll have three names like Amaldine and uh, we'll go from there but I'm pretty sure that we'll do exactly what we did last time which was take our favourites to the hospital, then, uh, well, to the garage, I suppose, hopefully, and hold the baby names up next to him and then choose. Um, I know that if we don't name him straight away, we will um and we will ah and we will not make the decision uh, for ages. I said to Hendrik with Amaldine, we are not leaving this hospital until we've named her because I am horrendous with decisions and if we'd gone home and not named her, we would have gone round and round in circles and she would have been Baby Jolin for ages, ages. We already have a surname that's really difficult to pronounce. And, you know, you call up, we've been, um, we're trying to sell our car and we've been looking or calling garages for new cars and, well, not new car, new use, new to us cars. And um, <laughs> I've been saying, oh, hi, it's Mrs. Jolin speaking. They're like, who, sorry? Mrs. Jolin, J-A-U-L-I-N. Oh, Mrs. Julian, no, <laughs> no, right letters, wrong order. So it's, <laughs> it's really, it can be a bit of a challenge with our names. But anyway, so on the baby names front, no, we have not got any baby names. Right, let's get into this podcast with Laura because it's absolutely brilliant. And I will check in with you guys at the other end. Enjoy listening. I hope you find it really, really helpful. I found it so incredibly helpful. Enjoy. All right, well, let's start by talking about what age it's recommended for little ones to start nursery. Um, and do you see a difference if they start kind of before or, or start at different ages, whether it be they start at two and a half or they start at three or they start, you know, when they start school, which is, I guess, around four or five, depending on when their birthday is? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> I, I think more than anything, um, nursery is quite a kind of big umbrella these days of, mm. of um, a phrase. It can incorporate very, you know, many, many different um, settings, as it were. But it's really if you're looking at nursery, you're looking at those preschool age, you know, that, that leading up to the, um, the the actual compulsory school age. And as you said, you know, four turning five, depending on, on, on where your birthday lies within the academic year. But, you know, some people need to use nurseries right from when they're babies. Um, and then some people, you know, then that might change as well. And they may move from um, more a kind of daycare style nursery towards a preschool style nursery, um, whether that's linked to a village primary or whether it's linked to an independent sector school. Um, so it's very different. And I think people use nurseries for very different reasons as well. Um, you know, some people may purely need them purely for childcare throughout, you know, where as soon as they return to work, that is what it's needed for. Um, but also, you know, people may also use them because actually they may not, um, you know, they may not be restricted in terms of their working hours, but they want their children to to have that socialization in, an, in a safe environment that isn't with a parent or a carer. Mm. Um, and therefore, you may have children who start from, you know, you could have babies as young as three months, six months, potentially in a, in a sort of daycare style nursery. But you may also tend to find children start thinking um, about going to a nursery if 
if it's um, a, a mother returning to work, it's often people may need them at about, you know, 10 months to 12 months purely because of maternity leave. Mm -hmm. um, if that's the way they're going to go down that route. Or you may start to get majority of children now who come into school age. So when they join reception, wherever that may be, you majority of children have been in a setting of some sort in this day and age nowadays. They, they just have. Um, and whether that's from a baby or a toddler or more kind of aged two or three um, from where I'm currently working, we tend to get children joining us. Um, well, they can't join us actually before the age of uh, the term they turn three. Um, and we have a real mixture. Some of our children have been in places since they were very little and some haven't at all. And it just totally depends on what the child is like and what, what they're using the nursery for. So in terms of I wouldn't say there is a recommended age as such because I think children benefit from all sorts of different situations in, 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 in different ways. But I would certainly recommend that your child does have some time um, away from their parent or carer before they are ready for school in terms of, you know, moving to school um, at, at their age four turning five. I just think it prepares them, um, most importantly, for that big change in their life. Mm, oh, absolutely. I completely agree. Yeah. Amandine's been Amandine yeah Amandine is Sorry. my daughter and she is two and a half um almost and okay I'm sh well every time we go to the playground it's right next to the village primary school and when yeah. she sees all the kids playing she gets really excited and she's like can yeah. I go and play can I go and play and we're like yes but do, <laughs> do you understand what that means mummy and daddy won't be with you and we won't be with yeah. you for a little bit but you can go and we're actually going tomorrow to have a little look at a forest school which is um just oh, down the road because yeah. we thought that might be quite a nice start for her and then maybe go to the kind of primary school nursery as well a little bit at some point but to be honest my husband's furloughed right now I'm at home and we have very little need during these times to actually send her yeah. to nursery um, but interestingly, what are your thoughts on forest school? Yes, yeah, so I'm a, I'm a big believer in forest school. I, I absolutely, you know, I love the outdoors um, and it, I'm a big, big believer in it. But I think also, again, forest school is now quite a big umbrella. Um, mm. There are many, many, many places that have standalone forest schools. Um, where I teach, we we do our own version of forest school, which we call we just call it something different. Um, so all our children have that access to it as well. Um, you can obviously there's lots of fantastic when they're up and running again as well. Um, parent and toddler groups that link in with forest schools as well. Um, I'm a big believer in that um, encouragement of the independence and the great outdoors, that exploring. Um, picking up mud, picking up sticks, not being afraid to really just enjoy the outdoors. Mm. And often with, within a forest school, you, you're not having such tight boundaries or um, kind of, you know, there are, there are sort of, well, they're not really, I don't even know if you could describe them as rules as such. There's expectations and the children pick them up quite quickly and, and purely it's normally from a safety point of view, but mm. particularly, you know, when there are live fires and things like that around and tools. Um, but the children pick up on it so fast. And I think it's a really it, it's a really lovely way of kind of introducing children to to something that is, is maybe not organized by their parent or, or a grandparent or whoever their main you know, main, main um, adult is at home. Um, so it's quite a nice introduction because 
uh, you know, also let's be honest, most young children adore being outside. Yes. <laughs> so, so they're not intimidated by potentially, you know, a room or a building where they can see that, hold on a minute, I'm feeling enclosed. You don't get any of that because you are in the outdoors. Um, so it's really, really lovely from, from that point of view. Um, and I think uh, we do find a lot of um, the children who join us have had some experience of, you know, maybe a, a toddler group that's been outside um, or that kind of forest school feel. And, and they've all really, really enjoyed it. And, and as do the parents as well. And, you know, and I think with a lot of these things, actually, it, it's, you know, we're doing it for the child, but it's also got to be a parental enjoyment as well. And, you know, you want to be enthusiastic about it and enjoy it. Um, and there are some forest schools where you may leave your children as well, but it's it depends on the age of the child as well, obviously. Um, mm. But they, and I think we're lucky, you know, where we live in Devon, it's just so beautiful, isn't it? So actually, why not enjoy the great outdoors, but with a, a slightly different structure? And I think parents pick up an awful lot as well and learn quite a lot within that environment of how they can use the outdoors at the advantage of their child as well moving yes. forward um so i think it works both ways i i think it's a very very special time um our, our children really benefit a huge amount from it and particularly i'm going up through as well through up through the school we have it throughout um up right up to year two and and beyond as well and just the children who may be you know, finding within the classroom things can be, you know, get a bit of pressure or they're finding it a bit tricky. As soon as they're out in their wellies, things just completely change. Yes. So it's a pretty special time. It's so lovely that you incorporate it into yours as, as, as part of it. That's so nice. Yeah, well, we, you know, we've got the beautiful setting and it just seems crazy. <laughs> seems crazy not to use it. Absolutely. So I know every nursery is different, um, but what... What does nursery actually provide children? I mean, maybe talking from um, your experience of where you you teach, but uh, what what as a parent, what would you expect to get from a nursery for your for your child? Well, as you said, you know they're all very different. So depending on the age and stage that your your child joins a nursery, mm. but really the kind of core elements uh, I think is the the social interaction mm. is, is obviously hugely important, the emotional support and development. And the cognitive, you know, how is your child going to develop through the different stages when they join? Is it going to be, you know, the speech and language is a huge part of the early years. So when I talk of early years, we're really leading up from birth to age five. Um, mm. And that and also that opportunity to meet and understand what new faces are, both adult and children or babies, you know, whatever age they may they may join, I think. You know, we, we, we live in a sociable world. Well, we will do <laughs> again hopefully yeah. soon. And and actually those social skills are just, you know, so very important. And however social, you know, we may be, I, I from speaking from a sort of mum's point of view, um, with my went with my eldest, I just remember he sort of got to a stage where actually you know, he he was having a lovely time and at, at home and we were out and about an awful lot and seeing lots of people. We were sociable people, but actually he needed something that was for him, particularly with a number two on the way, I think, from mm. my point of view, that actually, you know something, it was his and, and you know, mummy or daddy couldn't interrupt that. That was his time. And I think that's quite special. And actually, nursery really does provide a kind of home from home in a way. And so it should, you know, it's the first time a lot of people will leave, leave their child in someone else's care. Um, but it's, 
it, it's sort of home from home, but adding whole new elements to it in the long run in preparation to, to come to school more than anything. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that will come in stages depending on the age and stage. But particularly that kind of social, emotional and cognitive development is, is, is a real key to nursery life. Yes. And what, what exactly happens at nursery? I mean, can you run us through, pro- probably from if you're joining, you know, around two and a half, three years yeah. old, what, what does a typical day look like? I mean, I can't really imagine what a particular, <laughs> what, a, what a day would look like. No, of course. Um, and I think that no, it's a really, really good question, because actually, you know, you, you, you know, every parent has their own schedule, whatever that might be, if it's fixed or not fixed, you know, with a home environment. And then suddenly you're thinking, my goodness, they're going to be thrown in with however many other children. What mm. on earth happens? It must just be chaos. Um, and, and amazingly, it's not. Um, and uh, most most nurseries will have quite a structure um, purely because they've obviously got quite a few children. Even if they're a small nursery, you know, they will have a structure because we all believe, you know, children really, really relish and thrive upon that structure. So depending on the kind of nursery, they will normally have a kind of drop off point in the morning. You might have a window of time to drop them off. Um, and at the moment, um, parents or carers won't be allowed to actually physically come into buildings. They might be able to drop them off in an outdoor area um, or at a certain door. Um, that's purely just with the current restrictions that are happening. Um, they'll have a settling time. They may be playing. I mean, ours currently, the members are spending a lot of time outside. And I know most nurseries are trying to do the same. So very happy for the better weather. Mm. Um, and then they may well come in and have a little bit of a carpet type time. So our, because ours are slightly older, they have that. So they would go through the kind of days of the week and talk about the weather and what's happening and any news that they may have, because they always want to share amazing things with the <laughs> staff, whatever that might be. There's no secrets at nursery. So watch out, parents. Um, <laughs> we hear everything. Um and so they might have a little bit of a kind of carpet settling in time. And then we we kind of describe it as playing and learning time. So they'll go off. There may be some teacher-led or adult-led, depending on the nature of the nursery activities that are happening. But those are always done in a very small group. So the other children will probably be off, you know, playing and investigating their learning space, whether that's indoor, outdoor, or just indoors for a little bit, and then they may have access to both at the same time. Totally depends on the layout of the nursery. Um, and through the morning, the you know the staff will might pull children aside and say, "Oh, would you like to come and do a certain activity with me?" So that tends to happen, um, and they will they will normally stop kind of mid morning for a snack of some sort. Um, where where I am, they all eat. They all have a snack together. Um, and they sit together at tables and they get provided a snack and a drink and it's a kind of sociable time as well you know it's a chatting time a bit like if you were at home Mm. Uh, but some nurseries they may be able children may be able to help themselves in a certain window of time and sit down and have their snack Um, and then depending on the nature of the nursery and the children um, some nurseries may sort of have an official stop before kind of lunchtime and uh, quite a lot of children may go home at that point um, but if not, um, children who will stay for lunch, they may bring packed lunches at some nurseries, other nurseries, they may be provided with lunch. So again, they'll have a time for their lunch, um, and they will probably sit down together and have that. 
um, uh, with the staff as well. It's uh, so much as role modeling from an adult point of view to child as well. So, you know, the staff will get involved with everything that the children are getting involved with. Um, and they and then after lunch, some children may go home or other children may stay all day. So, again, um, they'll have playing and learning time and a huge amount of this will be done outside as well as inside um, with, as I said, certain um, sort of set teacher-led style activities, depending on the nature of the nursery and depending on the nature of the children and in, of their interests as well. Um, nurseries very much will go with the children's interests as well um, and kind of not pre-plan everything at all um, because, you know, suddenly a child will come up with something and then they will go down that route and plan activities to go with that and on an individual basis as well. So when your child is in within a nursery, they will have a key worker. Um, so one, a member of staff will kind of be solely responsible for your child and they will be the one who will report to you as well as a parent. Um, so they will take observations. They may take photos and add it to either a paper kind of journal or quite often now most um, schools and nurseries are using online journals. So um, parents can log in and see what their children have been up to. So there's a huge amount of communication, which is really lovely. And depending on the age of the child as well, you'll probably tend to find that if they're sort of two and a half, three, they, they may well have dropped their uh, a lunchtime nap. But if not, some nurseries will allow kind of a rest time and children may have a space to sleep if, if they want to, um, if, if the nursery allows for that. Um, and we also do find as they get older, particularly between the ages of two and three, which is a big question for a lot of our prospective parents, oh, but they, you know, they're still having their nap, um, but, you know, they may not be able to nap at, at, at your nursery. And we say that actually often the days that they are in our nursery, they may not need the nap that day. They sort of keep going and then maybe a day they are at home, they still do need their nap. Yeah. Um, but nurseries are very kind of familiar with those routines and particularly respect the routines that parents may have, um, particularly with the younger ones as well, because, you know, the napping is so important, obviously, for their routine. And then we tend to, depending on what time they go through to, so if you're at a sort of preschool type nursery that may be linked to a village school or an independent school, you tend to finish at the end of the normal school day at about 3.30. Um, and so pickup would be then, or um, potentially there could be extra provision. So you tend to find that most nursery preschools will also have a kind of wraparound care. So if you need care from sort of eight o'clock, say till six o'clock, you will be able to have that, but it may just be slightly different. The sort of early morning and the afternoon after kind of 3.30 may look a bit different to what the children have during the day mm, yes. as such. So it's really a kind of extension, as I said, of home, a lot of play interrupted by meals. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> changes there. Interrupted <laughs> by meals and, and lots of outdoors as well. Um, and, yeah, really sort of depends. Some, some nurseries may also have some... Um, kind of specialist type, type teachers so they may have music extra mu sort of music sessions or yoga sessions or nice. some sports sessions um, and that kind of gets incorporated as well depending on the nature of the nursery or French or ballet or you know a, a forest school type activity just depending on, on what the nature of the nursery is really yeah so they're busy they're very busy <laughs> This sounds so much fun. Sounds oh, it fun. is. It's, I'd like I, to go. I have nothing better than going to hang out in our nursery. They're always 
but most of the time they're dressed up. This morning, all my nursery are dressed up as knights and princesses in their castle, new castle. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> That's so cute. It's really interesting to say that one of your main questions from parents is a prospective parents is about having a nap because that's that's yeah. our main concern. Amandine, you know, she's two and a half, but she is still loving her her nap and she she naps for a full (laughs) full two hours I know we're so lucky but she naps for a full two hours at lunchtime and still sleeps all the way through the night so she still clearly enjoys it and wants it Mm. um and that's one of our main concerns is there's no way that she would her (laughs) her sleep um setup is you know she sleeps in a completely dark room she sleeps with white noise always has done there's you know I would never expect a nursery to replicate that um and that's our concern is that we would then pay for it the next day if she didn't have a nap but I guess I guess it's a trial and error thing I suppose yeah, I think so. And I think we definitely find, I found my, my two boys were very much the same. The lunchtime, two hour lunchtime nap was everyone's saviour. It was just alleluia time for everyone mm. involved. Um, and I did not want to give that up at all. But actually, I think you you may find, and every child, as you know, developmentally is completely different mm. and particularly with naps and things. But you may find, particularly as she's sort of two and a half approaching between two and a half and three, you may suddenly find quite a change in that with her mm. um and, and actually as I said there could she might suddenly start slightly you know whatever the word you want to use is but suddenly say actually you know what mommy I'm not getting in my cot or bed or whatever it is mm. um for, for my lunchtime nap anymore and suddenly you're slightly fighting a battle of oh no you need it you need it because otherwise they're danger of you know getting in the car or something at three o'clock and then they nap and then it's yeah. a disaster zone for bedtime <laughs> and no one wants that no. um particularly if they are in you know routine as, as obviously that she is um but it's one of those I think also when they are at nursery they're so busy that they probably don't even think about it do you know what I mean it's a complete change of scene so they won't think about it but it's trying to work out and it sounds like you know if you're if she's not going to have to be in every day she may well still nap on the days that she's at home and that's not a problem and then suddenly it'll just ease you know bit by bit and she may not want it but you may also you know when you decide where for her to where to go just say to them look she is still quite used to having that nap at whatever time it is you know if she needs a bit of quiet time is that okay yes. you know what I mean some because that's what I moved mine from in terms of right they've come from this gorgeous two-hour sleep and sometimes I would have to wake them up to not needing it but actually they still needed that downtime. yes so it's just having that kind of rest in the middle of the day so they've got the energy to see them all the way through till bedtime yes absolutely and that still continues in our house (laughs) (laughs) i think it's after lunch is really important (laughs) it's a must isn't it i keep saying to my husband you know when amadine drops her nap we're still going to have quiet time like this is not going to be let's play throughout the entire day we're we're expecting number two arriving in may oh okay yes oh how exciting thank you so um I will definitely be needing that quiet time. <laughs> and even if you know what, if it's a little bit of screen time or a little bit just a re- it it's not a disaster. You know, everyone just needs that downtime, I think, more yeah, than anything. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So in terms of um what parents should be looking for in a nursery, um yeah. I know we've we've gone over it, but things like pupil teacher ratio, I know you said that mm-hmm. you would have a key worker, but I'm you know, I, I don't expect there to be no. one teacher per child. What no. kind of things like that, if if you're going to look around a nursery, should you be searching for? 
Yeah, I think um, the the EYFS, which is the Early Years Foundation, is terribly strict. So people, you know, settings really do need to stick with the ratios because that is it's a you know it is a regulatory statutory requirement. So that is something quite important to kind of not to check. You know, you're not checking up on them from that point of view, but you just need to make sure that there are enough staff to children. So if they are um, two year olds, it would be one to four would be your ratio. Right. Um, And if there are um, as soon as they get to three. So age three, it would be one to eight would be the ratio and and potentially um, one to 13, depending on the nature of the staff as well, because it also depends on staff qualifications. Right. Um, So um, so potentially one to one to 13 as well. But you will also probably find that. um, And if also if you have a mixed group, so if you have, let's say, two year olds and three year olds, it should be the two year old ratio um, unless they're very much in the minority. Do you see what I mean? Like if there were. Yeah. And and that is only when they're rising um, three. So if it's the term that let's say the term they were going to turn three, the ratios are slightly, uh, slightly easier as it were rather than they've just turned two yes um so it's quite strict in terms of you know you need to have the right ratios to 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 children as it were um and also quite a lot of place nurseries it's worth just seeing whether they do only stick to the ratio so they really you know they very much are sort of tight with their staff as it were Mm -hmm. where some of them have to be um but also some might be more generous in terms of, right, we know we've got, you know, nine, we always will make sure we've got the right number of, you know, people should have the right number of staff, but there are some sort of flexible loopholes as well, as it were, depending on the nature of the room as well, and whether there are people next door or other adults nearby. Yes. Um, but, but you will notice in nurseries, in all early years settings, there's quite a lot of staff to children. <laughs> Just purely because there needs to be. And also their needs are just so much greater, you yes. know, as you can imagine. You spend a lot of time going to the going to the bathrooms to sort out nappies or, or you know, or accidents. Mm. Um, you just need more hands. So you will see quite a lot of adults. You might think when you go and look at places when you're allowed to, oh, my goodness, there's quite a lot of adults, but they are all needed. Trust me. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, no, it's it's important to kind of see how that works where where I am we we're quite a sort of teaching based nursery so we tend to have a we have a kind of class teacher as it were within the nursery and then we have assistants that work throughout as well right um, so but but then other nurseries they may have a kind of manager a nursery manager who may have some children as key workers or it might be other staff that, that take on those key worker roles and it's really depending on the size of the nursery you know some of these day nurseries it can be very very big and have a huge number of children on their books but you may never meet them because it depends on your sessions that your child might do um you know if they don't coincide with the same days as someone else you may never meet them as it were you may never meet the other children but you just know that there are lots of children that they see through the week. Yes. Yeah. And is there anything else parents should be looking out for if they're on the hunt for a nursery? I think it's, there's there's lots of different things. I think as and when you can go on a visit, and I know that lots of nurseries have been allowing visits, and, you know, you can do the sort of COVID-safe visits as well. Are you able to soak up the atmosphere? You know, when you go somewhere, can you really get that feel feel for it? You know, how are the children and the staff when you see them? Are they happy and smiling and confident alongside the kind of welcoming staff? Are they, I think that's a real key to a thriving setting of any sort. Yes. Um, 
And I think also the, you know, we, there's, especially with social media and, and particularly sort of Facebook and people asking about schools and nurseries and everything else about life. <laughs> um, you know, you've got reviews, you've got inspection reports and you've got hearsay. Those are all really useful, but I think you have to remember how you know how you view a school could really vary hugely to how someone else can vary you know view a school or a nursery so go in with that open mind and let the school let it sell itself actually you know let the staff sell themselves let the children look at the opportunities and you will soon know if it's right or not I remember looking at a variety of places and that's the other thing encouraging people to go and look at places you know you may you may be restricted depending on where you live and location that actually you really do maybe only have one option but that's quite rare nowadays and actually do go and look at different places even though you think right I've got my heart set on that one I know that's going to be the place but actually you've got nothing to compare it to unless you have gone to have a look at others and I think that is really important to know what will be right for your child and your family as well because actually it's a big, you know, it's a big impact. Um, so do try and visit more than one if you possibly can. And also write down before you go, I think, write down everything that is important to you and your child. And it's not for you to go in and say, right, you know, here is a list of things. <laughs> but I think it will help you come up with a kind of clear list of questions when you're there, um, as well as what to look for. Because actually, you know something, the what, what, a, what a nursery actual physically looks like may not be important to you but it may be extremely important for someone else yes. you know what what the children are expected to bring in each day may be very different to what you know you think to someone else thinks um how how the staff manage the day how the staff manage the staff and, and the children as well the facilities too you know uh, actually are they going to be able to access more than they are already at home um, are they going to get that little bit extra or are they not? You know, and I think everyone has such different views on, on what they'd like for their child and at different stages as well. You know, you could be looking at sending a child, let's say, you know, your, your own experience, potentially um, only for a year before she joins school or, you know, a year and a little bit before school. Therefore, actually, do I want her to go to a nursery that has no attachment to a school? So then school is something that's totally new. Or actually, do I want to start slightly start that process? And I already know which, you know, primary or independent school she may want to go to. Therefore, can I choose a nursery that links in? Yes. Uh, and that may not be necessary for everybody. But actually, you know, if you're at the advantage where you haven't had to go to a nursery at a really young age and you're starting to think, hold on a minute, this is now that sort of two, three year old age leading up to, you know, leading into that preschool age of school readiness. Could could we link it with where we want her to go to school or him to go to school in the long run? Mm. Uh, so I think just going with that open mind and you, you get a feel. I think you really get a feel as soon as you look around somewhere, whether you're actually physically allowed properly into the rooms at the moment, which you probably aren't. You can probably look at them from, you know, from a distance, as it were. But you get a real, real feel. You can see what's on the walls. You can see what the facilities look like, what, you know, the uh, and what the staff, the staff and the children are the biggest giveaway. Definitely look at them. <laughs> Being a mum can be magical but also really hard. Research shows it makes all the difference when we feel supported, held and understood. The Nourish app is a well-being app created by mums for mums, offering a self-care toolkit and support team in your pocket. 
It was created by Sarah Campin, mum of two, after her own struggles in motherhood and her transformational journey with self-care. Sarah knows just how hard it is for us mums to put our own needs into the equation and look after our mental health, but also what a positive impact it can have on the whole family. She's on a mission to make self-care easier and more accessible for us mums. The Nourish app is an on-demand library of unique meditation videos and quick reads across mindfulness, yoga nidra, psychology and much more, all tailored to the emotions and challenges we face as mums, all created by a team of well-being experts who are mums themselves. Try Nourish to de-stress, restore and reboot and find more love, joy and calm in the chaos and pressures of mum life. Self-care isn't selfish. It's essential for our own happiness and our little ones reap the rewards. Nourish was named App of the Day by Apple and is free to download and explore on iOS and Android. Check it out at thenourishapp.com. Ready, shall we move on to the listener-specific questions um, and help these listeners out a little? (laughs) All right, so first one um, is, what sort of approaches would be expected for dealing with behaviour issues? Yeah, and this is a question I get asked quite often as well, showing prospective parents around of, um, you you know, how do you deal with with someone doing something they probably shouldn't be doing which let's be honest you know two three-year-olds are quite good at doing that oh yes Uh, I think more than anything consistency and that's a real message we always put across to our parents as well and we often find more and more our parents reach out to us as well to say help you know actually I I need a bit of support here what do you suggest how do you deal with it which we find really useful and really helpful as well because we much prefer the child to have that sort of similar consistency to home and school or nursery because it just makes life for them a lot easier as Mm. well you know, a little person coming across new faces, new, you know, new boundaries and, and all of that. And they will push it, however fabulous and wonderful, um, you know, these these little people are. They do like to push boundaries at times, as mm. we all know. So that consistency and communication, I think, with behavior, you'll often find as well, actually, that um, there may be a behavior. There may be something that really triggers something off in a home environment, actually, when they're in school. It, we never see it at all, which mm-hmm. is quite interesting. You never see it in within a nursery environment. Um, I, I think there's the sort of, con- as I said, the consistency. So the the staff would communicate with the child, get on their level, you know, and say, right, you know, verbally, okay, that's not how we do it. And they probably explain as well the reason why that's not acceptable or that's not why it's done. And it's all done in a very gentle, you know, calm, caring way. The only time I would say that potentially a member of staff may raise their voice or um, you know be a little bit not not dramatic but probably raise their voice in more of a sort of action point would be if a child if they saw a child who was in danger or endangering someone else Mm. um, they may actually just you know have to raise their voice but otherwise nurseries are pretty you know they're pretty calm and they're not I mean people would come in and say calm what are you talking about especially if you haven't worked in early years but in terms of the staff are amazingly calm and patient and you know they work with these children day in day out and they know how to get get through to them as well and they may have to remove them from a situation and explain why they've been removed from a situation whatever you know the reason might be um and then the real kind of sort of crunch point is the fact that every you know a nursery member of staff 
we'll, we'll make sure that the positives are back up and running very, very quickly. Mm. So they will be able to then, you know, reinstate that child, whether they've had to be removed into a social situation again. And as soon as they see a positive, it'll be a positive praise. You know, there's a lot of positive praise and, and role modeling again. You know, if a child's really maybe struggling just to follow something very simple, like, right, it's time to wash our hands and then we're going to have a snack, let's say, and they really struggle with that, that they'll see their, the others doing it around them. And they'll pretty quickly, <laughs> they pretty quickly change like, oh, I'm supposed to be doing that too. Um, yes. So I wouldn't say there's any, um, you know, th- I, I think things are different on an individual basis. You know, if there was a child with some, some maybe some more severe behavior issues, um, a, a member of staff would be speaking to to those parents on a one to one level and talking through. You know, again, it comes down to communication of, of exactly what's been happening, and and that can be done on a day to day basis within a nursery environment as well. Just lots of communication from both ways as well. And um, you know, I was in a meeting just a couple of weeks ago and with a, with some parents, and they you know were very much sort of just asking. And actually, my staff always say, "Use." It sounds funny. They say, "Use us at home," and it can be quite powerful as well. So they, you know, there's quite a lot of fake phone calls to our, to my members of staff, right, I'm going to call Mrs. Whoever it is or Miss Whoever it is or their first name. And actually, it's quite powerful. They, you know, the, the, these children suddenly kind of come away from you and think, oh, God, I've lost my, I've lost my baby or whatever it is. But actually, they find, you know, they find a new way and it's someone different. It's not a parent and, and they react very differently to them in a really positive way. Yes. All right, yeah. next question. Is and it okay? Sorry, go on. Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, if a parent was worried, particularly if you know, a child came home and they were saying, oh, this person shouted, or they were upset about a situation of how potentially, you know, they, they might have been spoken to or something happened, just just don't, you know, don't mull it over. Please, con- I always say, please just contact us straight away because there will always be another side to things as well. And, and actually, don't wait or mull it over, you know, communicate all the time. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. Is it okay to take our one-year-old out of nursery for school holidays or will this unsettle her? Yes, please. Please do. <laughs> I probably shouldn't say that, should I? No, you are not at statutory, you're not, you're not at statutory age requirement at all yet. Please, they're one years old. You know, once they're at school, you're so restricted. Mm-hmm. And actually, you know, a holiday, just think of the memories and think, you know, look at how much you're getting that one-year-old is going to gate from that time as well. Being with their family, with no interruptions, hopefully somewhere new and exciting. And absolutely, please, it won't unsettle. It might, in terms of returning, there may be a little bit of unsettlement going back to nursery. So we find I'm a school-based nursery, so therefore we have school terms. So half terms and holidays, just the return from those can be a little upsetting, but they soon get used to it quite quickly again. And also the staff are aware of it. So they'll, you know, they'll put activities in place and have a gentler morning or whatever it might be. Please, they're one years old, take them on holiday and enjoy it. Can I come too? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how do you cope? Because I can't even imagine leaving Amandine for the first time. I mean, I'm sure she'll probably just smoothly roll in. But yeah, unfortunately, she will. (laughs) Yeah. And I will just be absolutely devastated. I mean, what what happened what happens if the child is devastated too is it easier as a teacher just to kind of ask the parent to get out of sight kind of thing or what's easiest how do you manage it 
so um, I had quite sort of first-hand experience of that. My younger child, he he's now in reception, but he's a young one. So he's an, he's an August born and he emotionally, you know, he, he is very young emotionally and he really, really struggled at that drop-off. He really struggled and it's heart-wrenching. And I was, you know, the sort of head. So I had to pretend I was all all right. And I sort of run away and probably want to burst into tears. Um, but all I can say is, yeah, I think as a parent or the person who's dropping the child off to, to nursery or to school, you have to be pretty big and brave just for that moment when you're with your child and then run into your car or walk home and have a, you know, have a big cry. It's OK. It's allowed. Yeah. But you must just remember that your child will be OK and they are in very, very safe hands. And it's very heart wrenching. We've had we've had a little one recently who who really struggled to to settle and um and her, I have to say, give her her due. Her, her mum was absolutely fantastic and walked away each time. And it's really, really hard to do. But as a parent, it is a lot easier. As a school, it's a lot easier if the parent isn't present. So hand them over, whatever that may be. And I mean, our staff have been fantastic and they've still been very much, you know, if a child needs a hug, they'll have a hug. Mm. Uh, and 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 they also have lots of different sort of tricks up their sleeve. So they may have like a special teddy or a special toy that they say to that child at the end of the day. Oh, don't forget, you're going to come in tomorrow and you've got to look after that for me. You know, little things like that. And also, if your child has something very special that is allowed to come into to nursery, just to settle them, it's not a problem. You know, if they've got a special teddy or they've got a special blanket or uh, we've got all sorts of things that come in called diddies and all sorts of different <laughs> things. And actually, even if they just need to hold on to that for the first 10 minutes of the day and then it goes pops in a tray or pops in somewhere safe, it's not a problem. You know, they're really young children. Mm. Um, so sometimes that really, really helps. I had a, a, a godson um, who, who lives in Singapore and he started school, actually. Again, he was a very young one. He started school last September and his mum, who's a very old friend, messaged me in complete panic. Like, oh, he's just a nightmare in the mornings. He's so sad. And I said, right, has he got something really special that he can put in his pocket? And she said, um, OK. And from that day on, that was their special thing. Just in his pocket. He knew that if he was feeling a little bit worried, he could just touch it, just having that something physical can make a big big difference I cut off the end of my youngest muzzies because he was a real muzzy boy a muslim boy and he just had a corner in his pocket and it made a huge difference Aww. so the child the child will be okay the parents normally more traumatized I know that won't help your cause <laughs> <laughs> but just be but I think the thing is in front of the child however hard it is just be really positive and be like right and actually I think sometimes talking about it too much doesn't doesn't help either. Right. Um, you know that kind of build up sometimes can be a, quite a lot for, yes. for a little one. So when you have your nursery days, let's say, right, it's a Monday, right? This is a nursery day. Okay, we're going to get up and we're going to do. So you can talk the night before, but just doesn't need to be made into a huge thing. Yes. Um, and I think the other thing, speak really positively. Once you've built that rapport, once you've got there and you know the names of the teachers or the staff or whoever they are, or the helpers or the other children, you can say, oh, I wonder, you know, you, you could show this to, you know, Fred or you could show this to Mrs. Brown or whoever it might be. Um, so you talk about the nursery setting within a home environment because they may feel happier then talking about it. Mm -hmm. um, 
and, and preparing them. And the other thing is with a lot of these nurseries now, as I mentioned earlier, they have kind of online um, teaching and learning journals of different sorts that parents can also access and put photos on and, mm. and put notes and things on. So that's also quite useful, particularly if you've got a wobbly child who um, you can, you know, you've done something really lovely at, at a weekend or you've been to, you know, fed the ducks and you put a photo on and then you can say, oh, don't forget to show your friends your photo of feeding the ducks. So they've automatically got something to talk about and it gives them a talking point and that's really powerful. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Do you feel kids um, or toddlers, especially kind of young ones, should go a minimum amount of days a week to nursery, whether it's half days or full yeah. days? Should no, they? That's, that's really good. Yes. Go I on. do think that because for the for the continuity for them, I think that they should have at least kind of two sessions right um, whether that's till morning you know just till lunch because depending on the age and the stage that's the other thing if you can you know particularly if you still have a lunchtime sleeper a sort of really good introduction into nursery is to go up until lunchtime and then they can come home mm. um we have quite a lot of children when they first start with us who very much do that they may stay for lunch because we offer that till one o'clock and then they'll go home um or they might you know build up the days as they get older which again is a really good question to ask nurseries that flexibility of actually right i want them only to start doing two mornings but can i build that up as and when they're ready to um because we do find particularly in that preparation for then going to school, um, having, you know, some more full time days is really good preparation for that that full time school um, once they're into reception. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I would definitely say I, say I would say one day it, it's fine, but it's a, it can be a bit confusing, particularly if you're in two different settings, which some children might be. They might be still with a childminder and a nursery or they might be you know they might move and they might be here in a preschool and a, and a day nursery that they've been at um in terms of just kind of transitioning them across to one um but i would definitely say at least two sessions whether that's two days or two mornings um i would definitely say at least two okay great yeah as the to, to start with yeah Yes. And do you th- if you have, say, two days at a forest school or two sessions at a forest school and then one session or two sessions at a nursery that's linked to a primary, is that confusing? I, I don't I don't. To be honest with you, I don't think it is because there'll be very different settings. I mm-hmm. think it may become confusing if they're very similar. You know, a, a forest school, you're going to be outside. They'll see it as two separate things. They probably won't see forest school as the same as their nursery because no. they're completely different. We find that quite a lot of children with us, they may start with us with two settings and it doesn't last, if I'm honest, it doesn't last that long. Right. Uh, they may then just move. Because I think more than anything, particularly our ones who've who've been at somewhere since they're really quite young and they're perfectly happy there, but they've just chosen that actually they want something a bit a bit more before they start school. Um, so, that, so they may come to us. Um, we, we find that once they've transitioned across the children tend to drift towards only wanting to be at one right but that's probably when they're a little bit older you know moving towards a kind of three turning four age Mm. um, rather than the little ones because you know lots of little ones they may you know if, if their parents aren't needing it five days a week from a work purpose you know they may have a day at home a day with a grandparent let's say um, a day going to a village group or, or swimming so actually they're quite they you know do quite a lot anyway mm. uh, but as they get older we fi- we tend to find the ones who have been in shared settings move towards just being at one quite quickly 
Okay. Another question here. My nine-month-old boy is due to start nursery very soon. He's a very spewy baby. How many oh. clothes? <laughs> how many clothes should I pack? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. I have never taught in a baby nursery, but I've had babies myself, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> and looked after enough in my lifetime. Um, so, um, I, I would pack more rather than less, and also the nursery will be able to tell you quite quickly whether you've got it we've got enough and also all these nurseries will have spare they may not belong to you um, but they will certainly have a lot of spare clothes because however many pairs you may need of whatever it is it, sometimes it's never enough <laughs> um, so they will also always have their spares as well but before you start absolutely just check what their recommendation is because you know you if it's a nine-month-old baby there'll be staff who are working with that age child all the time and they'll be able to give you um a, an app you know a recommended amount but i would certainly put in um you know, depending on how many times you change him in the day as well, they will probably be overly cautious within a nursery environment. So a parent might wipe stuff off and be like, oh, that might dry and that will be okay. But actually in a nursery, they may be a little bit more cautious. So just double check with them, but definitely more than less. Great. <laughs> but don't worry, they won't, he, he will have clothes to wear. It, it's got through all his of his own, so don't panic. <laughs> <laughs> if starting at three years old, what key things should we look out for show a great setting? I think we've probably covered that one, haven't we, in, in all yeah, our chats? I, I think so. It's just really, um, if they're starting at three and where they are, it's that kind of moving towards the school readiness element mm. rather than purely the, the sort of care and the emotional and social side of things. Mm. Uh, the longer you leave it to start nursery, is it harder for the child to adjust, especially struggle leaving mum and dad? Now, that's a really, really good question. And I think it completely depends on your lifestyle and what else you do with your child. Because, I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm age wise, I'm, I'm towards the, the uh, mid to end 30s, shall we say. <laughs> um, I can't say mid 30s anymore, mid to end 30s. And, you know, we weren't you know, our generation, we weren't all in nurseries and things five days a week. We just weren't. We might have gone to some play groups and bits and bobs and then, you know, started school and we were all okay. We've all survived, you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's quite a lot of pressure with just the way society is as well and the returning to work. And I can, I totally understand all of that. But actually, you know, what is wrong with being at home? absolutely nothing it's an incredible place to start with everything mm-hmm. um maybe not for all children depending on the circumstances but you know home environment is a pretty special place but it depends what else you do so you know if you if you start nursery later i don't think your child is at any form of disadvantage but as long as they are socialized and have opportunities um out with your home environment there's no reason you know, that, that's not a problem. But I would certainly say that that year leading up to when they're going to start reception, I would really strongly encourage them to have some time away from you as a parent. It doesn't have to be a huge amount of time, um, but a little bit of time just so they can start finding their own feet. Mm. So in addition to that, I guess, what's the best thing you can do to prepare your two and a half year old in particular? This lady's asked, especially after lockdown and less social contact. Yeah, it's really, it is really difficult. And to, to everyone, I mean, I, I, I am 
absolutely desperate to start our parent and toddler group up again. And unfortunately, that just can't happen yet. Mm. But I do feel for and, and I have a, a younger sister who's got a who's got a 18 month old. And she, it's really fascinating, you know, that sort of that, that social element of, of, of little people. I, I think I think more than anything is that there are a lot of people in the same boat. You aren't the only person. So that's really important. But also they will have social contact pretty quickly. And whether you may, you know, you may not, you may be shielding yourself, so you may not be able to go out. But actually, you know, the parks are absolutely fantastic places for social contact for children of all ages. Mm. Um, so if you can get out to parks, just just even just going for a walk. I know that sounds really silly. You may live in the middle of nowhere, but you will still hear noises, see animals, react to different things. You know, a bike might come past. It's ha- just children having those opportunities. And as soon as they do start somewhere, whether it's a playgroup, a swimming lesson, a nursery, they will have so much social interaction that it will be a bit of a social social overload, but also all staff are very, very, very prepared for that. So they will make sure that their settings are set up for a huge amount of support and to help children through that. Mm. So really, you really mustn't worry as such. But that social content, I know they may not have been able to play with literally children their ages, but just going outside and seeing, you know, life around them is an also huge element of social contact for children of that age. Mm. So you've probably done a lot more than than you think you've done. <laughs> Actually, just hearing you just hearing you break it down just like that, I, I'm now thinking. Oh, I mean, that wasn't my question, but I'm thinking. Oh, yeah. Actually, Amandine has a a lot more social contact than I realise. Um, even just being at the mm-hmm. playground watching other kids, even though she's not actually playing yeah. with them, no. she's still watching. Because also, when they start nursery. Yeah. And when they start nursery, a lot of children don't play with other children anyway. They're very egocentric, you know, and and actually that comes in time Mm. and they will very much play alongside others, but not with them. That Mm. takes a lot. That takes a long time to kind of develop. Oh, interesting. Okay, next question. I've heard summer babies tend to lag behind in school as they're younger in their year. Is this true? And is it worth sending them to school a year later? big debate of our summer built born babies I have one I have one at either end as it were an autumn born and a summer born and I had a lot of questions a lot of friends have asked me that same oh you know would you hold him back did were you planning on holding him back and I I think the biggest difference that you will find is their emotional development um Mm. well also mine was my second born so he had an older brother to constantly kind of try and match up to so so that's quite different in that way I, I I didn't dismiss ho- holding him back, but he was really interested in kind of learning what was going on around him. And that wasn't me being a teacher and putting it on him at all. It was just a natural interest. And I think if he hadn't have had that, I would have potentially looked at maybe holding him back more than I really did because he was suddenly wanting to know, you know, what his name looked like and counting and looking at the environment and seeing what was around him and therefore he had that interest and I think emotionally there's no denying it he got very tired very quickly compared to let's say the slightly older ones because you know if you think of them in a difference when then sort of a newborn and then a 10 month old Mm. or 11 month old which is what it is Mm. um you know it's, it's such a contrast 
But I think also it's an individual case again, and I would take each individual case as an individual case and certainly speak to if your child is in a setting, which they probably likely are to be, have a really genuine conversation with with the members of staff there and say, look, you know, I'd really love, I'd really value your opinion on should, should we be holding our child back? Because actually, officially, you can hold any summer born, and that's from the end of April onwards. You can oh, really? do that. But it also depends... Um, it also depends on where they then would join school. Would they automatically just go into reception or would they go into year one? And I would strongly, strongly recommend that a child does not does not miss out their reception year. It is just the most important foundational stage for a child. Right. And if they if they were except, you know, some schools may say that, yes, they can defer a year, but then they join into year one. Uh, personally, professionally and personally, I wouldn't highly recommend that unless there was certain case for it. You know, on an individual basis, I would, the reception year is such a foundational stage for so many skills that I really would not let a child miss miss out on that. Yes. So I think as a, it's really an individual basis, how they are, where they lie in a family, what they're like as a as a child, but they also catch up pretty quickly if I'm honest in terms of that first term could be quite a struggle but can also be quite a struggle for older born ones as well um uh, they're just very tired because it's suddenly quite you know a big change but also reception staff are still early years trained and they're very very used to it um as well and they'll go gentle on them and the expectations you know will, will still be very gentle and and now more so than ever as well over the last you know year and a half of children's education being so interrupted mm. uh, but they do catch up fast and particularly you know with with older ones in their year group it's 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 hard to tell the only thing I really would also consider discussing um as a family and and also with a school if you get a chance to go and visit it is if you had a very premature baby um, and they're on that borderline of August, September, mm. it may well be worth just seeing how they are developmentally because actually, you know, potentially very prem babies do take a bit, bit longer to, to get those developmental stages going. So that's just one thing I would certainly consider. Mm, brilliant. Thank you. Another question, 14-month-old does tiny naps at nursery, two naps. Um, how can I help her? She does four days. So I'm guessing she wants to maybe make those naps longer. longer. Naps. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm kind of presuming as well. So it's quite difficult, particularly within a nursery environment. As you say, you know, some children will, will sleep for, for ages at home, but then nursery is very different. Even they may even have like a nice dark room with little mattresses. Often they do, some of these nurseries, but they could probably get disturbed much more easily. Mm. I, I guess it depends on also that sort of timing of when you can pick your child up. And I guess, you know, work work commitments, you, you can't change those. But if there are any days, particularly if they're struggling with that napping, if there are any days that someone can pick up your little one just that little bit earlier, maybe even half an hour, it makes a huge difference to mm. a child because they get home and they have that time at home, but sort of before the bath and bedtime or whatever it might be. And that sounds really silly, but that may well help them if that. But if you can't do that, because that, of course, isn't always possible, you know, speak to the nursery and just say, um, 
you know, what, what time are you putting them down? Um, this, that might be a bit early for them or have they had enough to eat? Just definitely communicate with the nursery. They won't mind at all and just say to them, look, you know, I'm, we're struggling a bit. I, I, I feel that they're maybe not having enough sleep. And then we all know when they don't have enough sleep, going to bed at nighttime can also be a nightmare. So I would definitely communicate with them and just work out what the napping schedule is as well. Now you've obviously been at nursery, you know, for however long. Um, just try and work out what how they kind of organize the napping and when she can nap and, and how she's napping, whether it's, it could even be when they're out on a walk potentially, or does she actually, you know, lie down and have, have a rest? I would definitely find out what she does. And then, um, you know, if she needs something to help her nap, um, does she have that at nursery with her? If it's a teddy or a blankie or a muslin or whatever that might be, which she probably does at that age. Um, but just speak to them, definitely communicate with them. Mm. It makes life a lot easier for everyone. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I didn't realise how long waiting lists would be. When is it best to register baby for nursery? Oh, goodness, that makes me think back to my London days where the babies were born that morning and then the registration forms were on the desk that afternoon. No way. That's how crazy it was. Really? (laughs) Luckily not quite so bad but it is true there are and particularly I think in depends on your location where you live but a lot of these cities you know the nurseries do get booked up really 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 quickly um I think it also just depends on where you are and and if you know when you're going to be returning to work that's the other thing you know some people just do know that and others don't um and of course, you don't want to be booking nurseries, particularly if they're taking deposits. If you're really not sure, you don't want to be losing out on money like that. But I think also if you have any vague sense of what your schedule is going to be, you know, do potentially look sooner rather than later. Because actually you may look when your baby's, let's say, three months old, but you're not going to be sending them till they're nine or ten months. And that's quite a big gap. So don't you don't need to panic. You don't need to think, oh, well, you know, my baby stage is over. This is all over. It's not. But some may need more um notice than others as it were also depending this is obviously for a baby um and and I think also ask them you know the ones that you like just say right you know what are you looking at in terms of they'll know what what availability they have and they'll probably contact you and even if they you need to if you absolutely dead set on that nursery right you know that where it's going to be they may have a process where you um you know have a registration form so then your child is on their system and then they may contact you about a start date so that's definitely worth asking as well um but i think it, yeah, it's very much a, loca- a location thing. So if you wherever you live, um, if you, you know, if you if you're aware, just even if you're on, it sounds funny, but even if you're on maternity leave before you have the baby, and you know, kind of the timing of when you, you will need a nursery from it may be just worth just giving them a ring and just asking them, do you have a long waiting list? Mm. You know, just just give them a ring because all of them will be different. So you have to do it on a kind of individual basis more than anything. But if you're absolutely certain, you know where you want to be or or you know ish where you want to be uh, or you want your child to be, um, you can always register for a couple. You may have a deposit to pay, but actually you can then decide nearer the time, depending on your baby and where you are and, and, and what you want for your baby. Mm. One thing I never realised was... Um, I mean, this is obviously for uh, for kind of state state schools. Is that you don't necessarily get even if you live we live within about a two minutes walking distance of our local primary school, but yeah. when you apply, you apply I think through the Devon County Council I yes. think, but just because we yes. live so close, we're not guaranteed a space. No. 
and yeah. that that shocked me quite a bit <laughs> Yeah, it's quite a painful process in that way. Um, and it, that's not the case. Obviously, again, that's a location situation. So mm. um, depending on, on, on where you live, um, that and that's why it's also really important to make sure you do go and look at other places, I think. Just, you mm. know, the just in case, don't presume that you will automatically. You may be, well be able to presume, you know, if you're out in the countryside and there's village school, you're going to get in, basically. Um depending on, on where you are. So just just make sure you do a little bit of research on your local area and what, what the primary schools are like in terms of, um, of taking them in. Because there are also primary schools in cities that actually, if you are within, let's say, a two-mile radius, you will get into that in right. terms of a catchment. It's really dependent on the size of the school, the demand for the school, and also the reputation of the school as well, because there may be people, you know, who do apply because you can apply for any. Um, and actually, if, you know, the nearest primary to you has a really good reputation, you'll have people applying for it from the other side of a city, let's say, yes. because actually they want to make that work for them. So so it's just being aware of what is around you. And then, yes, you're right. So you will apply via county, depending on where you live within which county and that normally comes out and normally opens in about November time for primary schools and then ends in January beginning mid to kind of early mid January right. um so you 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 I think you can put five choices down but you don't have to you can put one choice if you wanted to or you can put three or whatever it might be it's quite a lengthy online document um and then the places get allocated in April so you then find your child's place in April wow so it's quite late get, yeah, it is quite late. It is quite late. It's quite interesting how late it is. And then if you you can also appeal, so um, you may be able to appeal and you may be able to come up with a reason why actually you don't want that place, but you want another place. And and it depends where you are. Sometimes you're lucky, and so I can't you know can't give a de- definitive answer of whether you'll be lucky or not. But there, it's not the be all and end all. If you don't get your place, there are ways of appealing against it. And you also get you know you get people moving to an area who suddenly need a school place. So there could there can be quite a bit of movement. If you decide to go down the independent route, you're a lot more flexible. Mm. Um, you don't have to apply via the county. You can as a backup if you wanted to. But if you absolutely know you're going independent, you don't have to apply via county. Um, and you, depending on the nature of the independent schools um, in certain cities and certain areas, there'll be very, you know, there may be waiting lists and they get booked up and you have to put names down quite early. But in other areas, particularly in Devon, they're a lot they're a little bit more flexible just because you don't have quite so many people saying mm. that there's a lot of people moving this way. No, um, they're just yeah, all over the place. But <laughs> you can be a bit a little bit more flexible and um you, you tend to you know, if 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 you know you're you, that's where you're going, get registered, but you don't have to be by April, let's say you can go and have a look in the summer term and even in the summer holidays independent schools get get children signed up as well that's really interesting so you're a little bit more flexible that leads us into our next question really well this was one was one that i don't think you've seen because it was um came in quite late but it says my mother-in-law keeps telling us to look at private school for my children (laughs) for my child sorry he'll be starting reception but we have an excellent state primary on our doorstep what are the differences that's another question I get asked quite a lot. I bet. <laughs> um, it's a really good question. It's a really good question, particularly, I think, where, you know, where we are in Devon, we're really sport. We do have really good primary schools and really good village primary schools, which are absolutely lovely. Um, 
and not too big potentially either because that's one of the biggest differences and tends to be is the class sizes but you can't always win that debate in the independent sector if you've got a small village school Mm. um so i think it's it's what you want in you you know again looking back at terms of writing down everything that's important to your to you and your child I think the most important thing is, is if you're living in a lovely village and you're sociable within the village, that doesn't have to stop. And that doesn't have to stop for your child if they don't go to the village school. Um, you, you, you mustn't feel that pressure. Right. I live in them. Therefore, I must support. Uh, you know, you, of course, it's absolutely lovely to support your, your local school. But actually, you need to make sure it's right for your child as well, more than anything. And I think. The opportunity, the biggest, one of the biggest differences is that those opportunities um, that the independent sector can have uh, over a over a, um, a primary school, you know, is it purely academic or is there a broad range of cross and co-curricular activities on offer? Mm-hmm. Um, are you going to be constantly going from, you know, one place to the other after school hours and at weekends? And actually, you know, a school which has more on offer can allow you as a family not to have to complement with a long list of out of school hours clubs. And actually, if you're working parents as well, that can be a real added strain on logistics, travel expenses as well, um, and exhaustion. And of course, you're saying, oh, but, you know, expenses, finances, you're paying for their school rather than uh, having it free. But actually, on top of if your child's doing an awful lot of extras, it is worth weighing up, um, you know, what exactly it is that that you do want. And I, we tend to find that um, we have children, you know, who may join us a bit later. So maybe not reception um, like that, that that person was asking, but maybe in year one or year two, because they've started at a village school and they've been really happy there. But actually, they just feel their child has grown out of what it can offer them, mm. you know, past the sort of foundational stages. Actually, they just want a bit more now. They want to have that all encompassed within a school environment. And that's where you know, the independent sector will have all of that within the school day. So that's that's probably kind of the biggest difference. But I think also it's that, that sort of that one with the grandparent. <laughs> and it's quite quite often the case as well. And I think you need to go and see, you know, the private schools and the primary schools, see both and actually compare them and see, well, hold on a minute, actually, you know, that what are the differences and what can they both offer me and my child and and work out what is best for you but definitely look at the extras in terms of clubs and everything that goes on outside a classroom Mm. it's really important Mm. really important because school isn't just the classroom it really really isn't no definitely not no I agree This is a bit of a, well, this is a personal question, mainly for yeah. my husband, actually. My husband's <laughs> French, so we yes. are bringing Amandine up bilingual. Okay, fantastic. And because he has been home the last year furloughed, essentially, he's an airline pilot, um, okay. her French has come on a huge amount because she only ever speaks French with Hendrik and she speaks English with me. Mm-hmm. And I know that his main concern, or he has this main concern, when when she starts school or when she starts nursery is that because she's not going to a necessarily a bilingual school is that she'll answer a question or she'll answer a teacher in French and then the teacher will say no that's not right try again when actually it is right but she's just speaking a different language and I think he has this concern that she'll just get shut down a lot of the time what what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I know communication, obviously, with the teachers is key and to tell them what how we're bringing her up and, and you know, they'll yeah. soon notice. But what are your thoughts on it? I think 
don't stop as in absolutely keep the bilingual going and it's something I really really encourage all parents we have um, a few children who are bilingual and we do find that once they are yes there could be a couple of moments you know where in terms of the language like the example you gave but I also don't think that the teachers would ever turn around in that way Mm. and say no that's not right they just say oh should we try that you know what would we say in English let's say do you know Mm. what I mean I think so much you've also got to remember a lot of children within a nursery environment within the early years the speech and language delay is is huge absolutely Mm. huge for a huge number of children you know we have children who can start with us who really don't have many words at all right um, and they start communicating in in many different ways so you know, early years practitioners, the early years staff are so used to communicating with children in such a variety of ways that actually verbal isn't always the only option. Right. So, so, so actually they're very prepared. And I think as, as you say, as long as you're really honest and say, look, you know, she does speak purely French with daddy and and English with me. So therefore we're trying to keep that going. I, I don't think that there would be an issue at all. And there'll be certain words. And also she may as she socializes as well she may come out you know with certain things being being french and certain things being english and she'll soon she'll soon get quite used to the fact that probably at nursery she will be speaking english yes um and and it's such a developmental stage anyway you know whether she was bilingual or not in terms of language skills um that it is such an emphasis on developing language um in in many many ways within within a nursery environment so that will probably help that situation automatically anyway but also celebrate it so you know if there's um something that you know it's really important to your husband in terms of culturally to celebrate bring that into nursery it's really important for 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 Annie to be able to share that as well with her nursery environment okay yeah I've got a godson who is bilingual, French, English, and um, I love speaking to him because he does suddenly come out, you know, with, with mix sometimes, and it, is, it always makes me giggle. It's very sweet. He's like, oh, no, 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 wrong, 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 wrong one. <laughs> oh, bless him. Well, when we're in the when we're in the park, Amandine will speak. She's very good at franglais, so she'll speak a mixture of French and English. <laughs> Just like me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll encourage her and say in the playground it's easier if you speak English because they they speak English and you'll be able to communicate easier and so we are trying to encourage that um and I think she does know uh when she should be speaking English and when she should be speaking French so it's it's really interesting to watch it will definitely come as well and also you know just just don't you know, some parents say, oh, you know, should we drop? And I say, no, 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 absolutely not. And there could be this state, you know, the sort of early years where there could be some confusion, but it'll soon, and also she'll be at such an advantage. So absolutely don't stop. Keep bringing her up bilingual. It's amazing, amazing skill to have. I'm, I'm very jealous. I wish, (laughs) I wish I had been in the same situation. I feel like it's one of the best gifts we can give her. So we will definitely keep going. Absolutely amazing. Our last question, um, Mm -hmm which is very much in the moment question, what to expect of nursery during COVID? Yes, this delightful, delightful situation. Mm. I mean, the nurseries have had a a huge advantage in a lot of ways is the fact that they have been able to stay open, Mm. um, especially this last, you know, these last six, seven weeks. And for some, that's an advantage and others it's not. Um, I it's such an advantage for those children to have been able to be in a setting. It really, really has been. 
I think more than anything, again, it comes down to communication, very tight protocols, making sure the parents understand exactly what the current protocols are. Mm. So, you know, what happens if there is a positive case within the nursery? And parents should know exactly what happens. Even if there never is a case, they should still know what happens. Um, Still that nurturing, that kindness. um, And... And it actually, in terms of sort of resources and opportunities, they, you know, they don't need to be restricted a huge amount. The, the staff, you know, early year staff have been absolutely amazing and have, you know, adapted things to make it as normal as possible for the children. And actually, we found that our parents have just been so unbelievably grateful, particularly if they've got siblings who they're having to homeschool at school, that you know, their youngest ones are having that, still having that interaction within a nursery environment. But just making sure the protocols are tight and you can tell quite quickly, you know, pickups and drop-offs, you know, are, are people wearing their, their face masks? Are, is everyone keeping a distance? And you can do your own bit as well, you know, as a parent or grandparent or carer and making sure that you're abiding to, to the actual national um, you know, advice as well, more than anything. Mm. Um, unfortunately, you know, with with COVID, you as a as a parent, you won't have much interaction within a school building, which is really difficult. We're finding that very hard because um, that's so much part of our school life as well. You know, sharing what we're doing with with parents and carers. So, I think just really tight protocols and communication, just making sure that you would know as a parent if you got that phone call, um, right? You know, unfortunately, there's a case in in your child's bubble or however they're organising it. This is what you have to do. I think that's just really important to know that yes thing yes well laura thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to go through all of that to answer questions i feel so much more knowledgeable now about what i should be looking (laughs) for especially tomorrow and also you know just what happens at nursery and you know what to expect and it's given me a lot of insight rather than just sending Amandine in blind when she eventually goes so thank you so so much is there (laughs) anything else that you want to um say to parents who are looking or who are unsure about nurseries that they've chosen or anything else you want to share I think just just make sure you know, you look around and make sure it's right for you. And what's right for you when they're really little, if they're being sent to nursery, may change. And that's OK. And if you do want to change a child's nursery um, and they want something a bit different, they may have grown out of it. I would really recommend that to happen that year before they start actual school. That might mm-hmm. be a time to change to a more preschool based setting, um, whatever that that might look like for you, um, especially if you've had a little one who's been in a nursery since, let's say, six months, uh, that could be a time to change. But otherwise, if they don't need that change in, in, in getting ready f- from a school point of view, um, just go with it. You know, your child will be the biggest advocate. And if, if, if they're happy, it, it will make, you know, you, you'll, you'll know that the nursery is right for them. They're very, very special places. And nursery staff, early year staff are absolute legends and um they're they're very very caring and wonderful and it's okay if your child falls in love with their early years teachers it does happen (laughs) (laughs) oh but that's so lovely Um, and reassuring yeah they're really really special places and and it's and it's a scary moment for a parent but actually your child will absolutely thrive and they will gain so much whether they're there for two mornings or whether they're for five days a week there will be a huge difference um within your child and if you're concerned or worried about anything 
it is a lot, lot easier just to communicate. Don't don't bottle it up. Absolutely communicate. And they're jolly lucky, these children, because they have so much fun. <laughs> I bet <laughs> they do. It sounds yeah. brilliant. Well, thank Thanks. you so much, Laura. I really, really pleasure. appreciate it. Absolute pleasure. Um, <laughs> and good luck. Good luck finding the right nursery. Oh, and and number you. two. Thank you. With being such a busy mum, and I'm sure all mums out there can appreciate this, having a one-stop shop for all your vitamins needs are a must these days when little ones are running riot. Nutrivita is that place. All their products are sourced and manufactured in the UK, therefore the quality assurance is second to none, no nasties. I currently take a pregnancy supplement, however when I'm not pregnant I like to take vitamin C, vitamin D, B12 and B6. Nutrivita offer all of these, they even have vitamin D baby drops for our little ones. The vitamin world can be a daunting place to enter, however with Nutrivita's super easy and informative website it's a breeze to pick up all of your supplements in one click. I found the customer service team super helpful in assisting me with any queries too. So if you're a little stuck with what you need or where to go for you and your family's supplements, make sure you check these guys out via www.nutravita.co.uk. And for 15% off, enter mumtalk15 at the checkout. A huge thank you to Laura for coming on and sharing all of her knowledge with us on preparing for nurseries, looking for nurseries. I found it really helpful and I hope you guys did too. Thank you so much for listening to this entire series nine. I welcome to all the new listeners who have stopped by Mum Talk and you're tuning in uh, new. I hope you go back and have a listen to, well, right from series one. There's so much helpful information. There are so many amazing guests. I keep meaning to find the time to kind of lay it all out on mum talk podcast instagram page so if you're searching for something you can just scroll down and have a look at the episode and i will do it because i know that would be really really helpful um but give me a bit of time. So, mini series, you guys don't have to wait long. It's going to come live in a couple of weeks. Um, so, it just gives me a couple of weeks break to um, record and take a moment. <laughs> a moment. And then the mini series will finish literally just like a week before baby's born, I think is that I think that's how that's going to work out so that'll be fun I can take you with me on the last few weeks of pregnancy um yeah which is is a, is a bit weird I mean it's I'll talk about this obviously in the mini series but you know I kind of know that this is going to be the last time that I'm going to be pregnant and I'm really trying to enjoy every second but also it's quite tricky not to wish the minutes away but I'm also really trying to stall time <laughs> Um, all of those emotions, all of those emotions, and I'm sure I'm not the only one feeling them. Well, thank you, thank you for listening. A big thank you to our friends at Nourish and Nutrivita for supporting today's podcast. I will be back covering all things baby prep and more in a couple of weeks. And if you have a moment, and I know so many of you have done this already, but if you have a moment, please, please, please leave a review, subscribe and rate. It really does help other mums to find the series and be supported by our wonderful community. It's, 
it's really easy to rate on Apple Podcasts. It's I don't I don't know if you can rate on Spotify um, and wherever else you get your podcasts. But if you have the opportunity to and you see it right there, please do give it a quick little rate. And if you have a moment, write a review. Lots and lots of love to you all. I will catch up with you in a few weeks. Make sure you're following on Mum Talk Podcast Instagram page. I'm going to be putting loads of questions out there on what you guys want to know, what you guys want to hear about, whether you want to know what I'm packing in, like a last minute hospital bag, just in case we end up in hospital, all that kind of stuff. So if you have questions, if you want me to reach out to experts to ask about anything to do with baby prep or birth prep, then please, please, please make sure you're following over on Mum Talk Podcast and I will give you many an opportunity to do that. Lots of love. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye.